And uh, he told me later, he said, you know, he said, I was uh, arguing with the Lord earlier that day about the message that I was going to preach that night. And he said, I had it all planned out and God just wouldn't give me any peace about it and just stirred about it. And, and uh, he said he was led to preach on full-time Christian service and, and uh, everybody, pretty much everybody in that service were, were adults other than just a few little kids. It wasn't a very big church at all and a few little kids. And then Teresa and I were about the only teens in there. And, and uh, um, well, he preached that message for me. God, God knew I needed to hear it, and uh, he uh, called me into the ministry that night. I'll never, ever forget that till the day I die when, when he called me, knowing that that is, uh, he was calling me, and, uh, and softly and tenderly, he was uh, calling on my heart, and no turning back, and uh, it's been a wonderful time, and uh, that was uh, amazing to think was 34 years. 35, 35 years ago, God did that on my heart. So I, I say that because I, I know we all have crazy schedules. I, I, know, I know how uh, things are these days, and we can be busy all the time. But uh, you know what? Sometimes you need, to, you need to pull back and give God some extra time and just allow God to do something in your heart or in your family's life. And I would challenge you to be here uh, for those special meetings. You just never know what God uh, will do in your life or one of your children's lives. And uh, you just don't want to miss that and uh, don't miss those opportunities. So it's important and uh, want you to be here, and, and your hearts will be blessed, and I know that you'll, you'll be blessed by being here uh, for those meetings. So do your best to be at those meetings, and like I said, we're going to be feeding you also uh, before, so you guys don't even have to be concerned about what you're going to have to eat. It'll be good, and uh, we'll have a great time together. So, uh, so I started a few weeks ago. I'm still dealing with the battle of the mind. However, it's kind of taken a little bit of a shift because of, well, just uh, several of the, the questions of, and the comments of people. And, and you, you do sometimes uh, gear things towards that. You know, most messages you preach, it's, uh, it's the, the same ordinary kind of comments that are made. And, and those are, that's fine. And, and I'm not against any of that, obviously. But um, there are some that, that gender more comments than others, and uh, that makes me think that that obviously is a subject that people are either interested in or it's one that they have several questions about and uh, not certain on some things. And, and as we have gotten into uh, dealing with the rapture, the, the resurrection has uh, brought up a lot of questions. And, and so the last couple of weeks has been dealing more so with the resurrection than it has been with the rapture. However, they, they really go together in, in some ways, and, and we're going to see that. And this message, I hope, will help in, in understanding more of the purpose of the resurrection. We looked at some of that last week, but it will lead us into the next message, the purpose of the rapture, and, and uh, let us see more of opening that book to 
uh, what, what God was thinking and why he, he is doing the things that he's doing. And, and so I do pray that, uh, again today, more of a, an informative type of a message and uh, can hopefully answer some questions also that you may have uh, towards the resurrection of Christ. Now, last week we were looking at Christ's resurrection and we saw uh, fourfold some aspects of that. We saw, first of all, that the uh, resurrection fulfills Old Testament prophecy. And we looked at that. We saw that Jesus himself made claims to be the resurrection and that he would raise again the third day. And, and remember, the Jews even used that against him and in that he said that uh, in three days his temple will be destroyed and in three days he'll raise again. And, and they were saying he was blasphemous and, and, uh, and, and he was causing insurrection. And so they, part of the reason why they uh, put him on the cross. But Jesus claimed that. And we also looked at, and hopefully it answered some questions, that it is a bodily resurrection. And so there will come a day when the ashes or the, the dirt where that body has dissolved back into the dirt or those who have, uh, are, are still in the, in the, the casket and, and the body is still there or uh, those who are alive that all of us are going to raise and it is a bodily resurrection. Now, it doesn't mean that this is the same old body we're going to have in heaven because it's going to become a glorified body. Now, People have said, well, where does that mean loved ones are at today? Well, Jesus Christ didn't die for this body. Jesus Christ died for your soul. Your soul is eternal. And your soul, immediately upon death, when this old body gives up, doesn't mean that you die. If you know Christ is your Savior, then this old body gives up, and absent from the body is present with the Lord. So if you know Christ is your Savior, then you need to understand that, yes, you leave this dwelling place here, but you are in the very presence of God. You continue to live. Now, others will live also, but it says that they will die the second death. And that second death is an eternity in hell being completely separated from God. And that is not what you want. That is not what we want for you. That, that is not what we want for anyone in our community, in our state, in our country, or even in this world. And that's why we go out wherever we can and share the gospel to, to encourage people to come to Jesus and uh, trust him as their savior. But it's a bodily resurrection. And then the last thing we saw is that Jesus made the statement, by his resurrection, it's the first fruits, it's the beginning of many more. And that's us. And so I pray that, that we can be comforted through these things. He says in 1 Thessalonians, this is talking about the rapture and, and, and talking about our resurrection, you might even say. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through the rest of the chapter, verse 18, says, But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. And he's not insulting them. He's just saying, I, I don't want you to be ignorant on this subject. I, I want you to know about it. I, I want you to know as much as we can about these situations and these subjects. And, and so I don't, uh, uh, do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, concerning those that, that are dead. We know that 
that uh, New Testament uh, refers to them being, being dead. That ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. You, you see, we, we grieve when we lose someone, and that's okay. God's given us that emotion, and Jesus himself even wept. We know that. And maybe not for the same exact reason, but he wept, and he understands our grief, and he understands that. And it's okay to do so, but if we know that our, our, our path is, on, uh, is uh, to go to heaven, and we have settled that with Christ, and we know that our loved one has settled that with Christ, then let your sorrow be different than the sorrow of the world. The world has no hope. And, and, and that's why, you know, God has, and I, I know I repeat this, but God has given us a ministry of doing so many funerals, even for those who aren't a part of our family and a part of our church family. That's okay, because what we can do then are, I don't know where they're at spiritually, but if they have no church home, then uh, that, and, and they, and people want to say, well, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Yeah, you can be a baseball player and not play on a team. How functional are you and, and how beneficial are you? You know, you can walk around in your fancy little uniform and wear your ball cap and have a ball glove and a baseball bat. But if you don't have a team, what are you doing? And so, same thing. And uh, 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 let's not do that, all right? And, and uh, so, but it gives us an opportunity then to... Share with them, look, there, there is a hope for us that you, you don't have to go through life and, and think that, well, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. And so uh, whoever has the most toys when they die wins, and, and you find out that that doesn't win you anything. And so we, we need to be able to tell people and, and let them know. And, and so here he's saying that we as believers, look, don't grieve like we have no hope. We have all the hope of God's promises in His Word. We have the very presence of God given to us through the Holy Spirit living in us, and so we have hope. For if we believe, and, and here he's, uh, uh, th this is a conditional sentence where he assumes that they already know these things. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, those that ha have been saved but now they have died, Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say that unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, those that are alive and remain when Christ comes back, okay, and, and it's our resurrection, it's our rapture that he's talking about, that that uh, uh, we have those that sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? And, and uh, uh, we know that those who have died will, and then we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. We won't precede those that rise from the dead, but we'll be right there with them, uh, following them up to heaven. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Then he goes on and talks about us being the children of light in chapter 5. 
And he says this in, in uh, 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 chapter 5. And uh, uh, where is it? I thought I had it written down. I don't have it written down. It's over here in chapter 5. Verse 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. You know, God, God gives us these promises to give us comfort. God knows that it's a, hard, it's a hard place to live. He understands that. He understands the curse. That's why he sent Christ to die. He understands the curse of sin. He knows the wickedness that's out there. He knows all of the troubling things that are going on. He understands all of those things. And he has given us so many promises in his word that we need to take and understand and know that when he says that he will do something, he will carry out his promise. He sealed the deal with Jesus Christ on that cross and, and dying for the sins of the world and being buried and rising again from the dead on his own. And when he did that and he ascended into heaven, he sealed the deal for salvation for any who will believe. And so, oh, how we need to understand the power of the resurrection and what it tells us and, and the purpose of it. Well, uh, and that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see some of the purposes, again, of the resurrection. Turn over to Romans chapter 1, if you would. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. Here it gives us the first reason. It declares Jesus to be the Son of God. It says in verse uh, chapter 1, and I'll just start with verse 1 and go through 4. Just keep it in the context. Paul a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So, introduction. He's writing this letter. He's letting those who are reading it, who it is that wrote it. And, and he wrote this under the, uh, under the supervision of the Holy Spirit of God, leading him and guiding him to write what it is that he's writing, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And, and so now, the, the gospel of Christ, right? concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which is made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So he was a Jew, and that's why, and he was a man, okay? But not only was he a man, but he was also God, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So the resurrection of Christ then proves that he's God, proves that he's a son of God, proves that what he did whenever he died and that by raising again that what he did as that sacrifice for the sins of the world was sufficient. And so it shows us that, that it declares Jesus to be the very son of God. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. I know we're going to be moving around a lot, but... Stay with me, and, and uh, we'll be done before you know it. Maybe quicker than you think, too. So, But in Hebrews chapter 10, and verses 4 through 12, we also see then, because of the resurrection, then it shows us in the Scripture then that it declares Jesus' sacrifice to be sufficient, not, only, uh, not for himself, but for all of the world. Not only those that have called on Christ to be their Savior, but it is sufficient enough to even save those who do not call on Christ. All they got to do is call on and trust in Jesus and they could be saved. It's their choice. 
It's a free will that they need to make, and they need to make the choice to understand you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you need to call on Jesus and trust Him as your Savior. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 4, talking about the sacrifice of Jesus, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. You know what you could also put in here? If the sacrifice of, of an animal cannot take away sins, why in the world would we ever think that our works could do something that the death of an animal couldn't do? Even our own death wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a sufficient sacrifice for our own sins, okay? And so, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but, but a body hast thou prepared me, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins. Thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, written of Christ, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. This is Jesus. He came to do the will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, the law. Takes away the law. And he establishes, he takes away the Old Testament, he fulfills the Old Testament, and he establishes the New Testament. Okay? What is the New Testament? Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again that third day. In the Old Testament, they were looking to that Savior that was to come. And so what did they do? Still saved by grace, but by faith then they trusted God that he would save them But in order for their sins and their daily walk, the sacrifices had to be made for all of their sins. And they would do all that to show them that those sacrifices were not sufficient. And they needed to look to the only one that could save them, that Savior, that Messiah that was to come. And they look to that Messiah and trust in him. And we see that they are given salvation the same way we were. But here Christ is one that has fulfilled that. And, and now all of that law is taking away, and that law showing them that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And so then said he, Lo, come to do thy will, O God. Verse 9, he taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Isn't that amazing? When we place our faith in the saving work of Christ, you do not need to continue to place your uh, and, and call on Jesus over and over and over to be your Savior. When you call on him and the sacrifice that he has done, he did that sacrifice one time, and one time is sufficient for all the sins of the world, past, present, future, for all of us, even from those in the Old Testament, all the way until that last baby that is born in this lifetime. It is sufficient to save anyone that will call on Jesus to be their Savior. And it's a one-time thing that Jesus did. Jesus does not go back to the cross and have to die again every time that you commit sin and confess that to God. He does not have to do that. He does not do that. He will not do that. Otherwise, his sacrifice was not sufficient in the first place. 
his sacrifice was sufficient one time, one time only. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Showing us it's sufficient, he rose again from the sacrifice that he made, and now he ascended into heaven, and now he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, showing us that it's sufficient. Isn't that, I mean, look, I'm not here to make you guys question things, but I'm here to tell you that what Jesus has done is sufficient to save you if you would just understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and He loves you, and He died for you, and call on Him and trust in Him today for what He has done, and you will be secure in the very power of God. Your salvation isn't in your power. You call on Jesus Christ by faith, trusting in Him, realizing you have nothing you can offer Him. What do we have to offer God? God has everything. God is everything. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. He's everywhere and in all of his presence. And then what can, what can we offer him? This frail body, this mind that goes to the gutter so often, this body that does things that, that your mind, your, your spirit don't want to do and, and your mind is fighting against you and your flesh are doing these things. What really, truly do we have to offer God? Nothing. That's the amazing thing about God's grace. That's the amazing thing about what he did on that wonderful, perfect sacrifice on that cross that he made. And and so call on him. Trust that he will do what he says he will do. Call on the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. God says that, not people. Don't try to to misinterpret it or try to to explain it away. It's pretty simple right there. So we trust in him and and that resurrection then, knowing that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, shows us and declares us through his resurrection that his sacrifice is sufficient. Now, do we walk around then behaving like hellions because we're relying on the grace of God? Romans 6, 1 says, God forbid. You don't do that. And if you truly have the the mind of Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you won't want to do that. Will there be times where we might act like like a hellion? Yeah, unfortunately. Fortunately, sometimes our flesh gets the best of us. We push down the Holy Spirit and we act and we react in the flesh. You know what we do for that? We confess it. We acknowledge to God, God, that was wrong. I know it was. I'm sorry that I did it. I am truly sorry. I know it's wrong, and I don't want to do it again. And, Lord, I'm, I'm confessing it to you. And you know what he does? He cleanses you of that. He forgives you of that, wipes you off, smacks you upside the back of the head, and says, well, walk straight. <laughs> Sometimes a little harder than other times, right? But we see that the love of God and, and what he has. And I, I just... I. I my heart goes out to those who walk around afraid. God doesn't want you to be afraid. God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. He hasn't given you the spirit of fear, what man can do to you. 
He hasn't even given you the spirit of fear in, in, the, in the wrath of God because he tells us and comforts us in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. He, he, he shows us that we are saved from the wrath to come, so comfort yourselves in that. Now, do we need to have a fear of God? Absolutely. Did you fear, fear your dad growing up? Man, I did. My dad wasn't very big. My dad was 5'7", and I don't know, 150 pounds, you know, 160 pounds, all muscle and a bad attitude, though. <laughs> and I feared him, and there was a good reason, you know. Uh, I know, uh, uh, oh, Wendy's upstairs, so I can tell on Dustin. Dustin said that he found the wooden spoon that his dad used on him, and his dad never found that wooden spoon again. I think he buried it in the yard. Jeff heard that in heaven. He knows now, Dustin. He knows your confession. My mom said that she used to get a spanking with a piece of leather that my grandpa would sharpen his knife with, and he would use that. She said she found a hollow in the big old maple tree, and she wadded that thing up and stuck it down in the hollow of that tree and never to be found again. <laughs> oh, the things we do, you know, but, but God... In, in, in his kindness and his mercy. But there are times where you, you do have a reverential fear for God, who he is. I mean, you, you think about the, the judgment of Israel, his own chosen nation, what he allowed to take place in their lives. And, and here's the thing, and we'll, we will get to this one of these days in the tribulation. That, that's the great wrath, that, that's the great tribulation that God's talking about and it's a wrath of God that this world has never seen. Nothing that has ever taken place will be in comparison to what will take place in those last three and a half years of the tribulation. Nothing that, think about that. And we've seen some real atrocities in this world since its creation. Nothing in comparison to what will take place does it mean that, that we won't see some bad things? Absolutely. We've seen it already. We continue to watch that. But we need to understand that, that God does not want us to walk around in fear. I, I just read this morning in Jeremiah where the, we're getting towards the end of Jeremiah, and, and, and it's to the point where now Judah has been taken captive. They're gone. Nebuchadnezzar has set up rule in, in Judah, and, and Jeremiah is still there. He had the choice. Even an ungodly king and his ungodly soldiers, in, in God's sovereignty, God told Jeremiah, you will be safe. And that king came to Jeremiah and had enough respect for him, even though he's an unsaved character, and said, your choice. You can either come with us or you can stay in the country. Doesn't matter. You'll be safe whichever way. Well, he had been safe whether Nebuchadnezzar liked it or not. God said that he would be. Well, he, he stayed, and, and, and then it tells us that, that uh, there was a group of mobsters that came along and, and killed the one that, that Nebuchadnezzar had left behind. And, and, and Jeremiah then, they, they came to Jeremiah, and they said, Hey, Jeremiah, we want to know, do we stay now, or, or do we flee out of this country and go to Egypt? And, and God told Jeremiah again, he said, Look, you, you need to understand these guys are, are not going to listen to you, but you need to tell them the truth anyway, and you will be safe. 
Now, Jeremiah saw some bad things in his life, okay? But through it all, Jeremiah stayed and did exactly what God wanted him to do. And you know what? He stayed safe. And, and, and he went through some bad times. And he suffered a lot of things along the way. But God used him greatly in a crazy time. God can do the same thing for all of us here. And there is just absolutely no reason, if you know Christ is your Savior, no matter how crazy things may get, you will be okay in the very will of God. Hang there. Stay there. Trust Him. Obey Him. He will do what He says He will do. He will carry out the promises that He will carry out. How do I know that? Because He died on the cross, He was buried, and He rose again that third day, and He ascended into heaven today, and I am worshiping a live, living Savior today because of His power, and if He says it, then we believe it. Trust Him. And, it's easy. and so here, we, and with this resurrection, quickly, and, and I uh, wanted to get you out of here a little bit early today, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, we see that resurrection is obviously essential in salvation. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Then he went into uh, uh, the, the rest of that chapter, talking about the evidence of his resurrection, showing us how essential, how important the resurrection is for salvation. You need to believe and understand and trust in, by faith, the total work of what Jesus has done. Not only did he die, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended, and he's in heaven today. And the work is done. We just need to trust in the work of God. And then the last thing I want to spend just a, a little bit of time on, I want us to turn over to Matthew chapter 28. I want us to read a verse here where th this is right after Jesus had risen from the dead and, and uh I, I love this statement that, that he makes. It says here in Matthew 28 and verse 9, And as they went to tell his disciples, so here we see that they had come to the, the tomb, saw that he had risen from the dead. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Wouldn't there be a fear and a great joy both? I mean, there would be a fear that, did they steal the body? I mean, it, it is... You know, is he, is he still dead somewhere? There, there might be a fear that, that you know, I, we, we know what he said, but is it really true? And, but then there's the joy where, where the, there's the faith and then there's the logic, right? You have the logic that's trying to outforce and, and push out the faith and, and, and here, but there's this great joy that, hey, maybe he is alive. He's gone. He's not in the tomb any longer. I mean, it's just amazing to, to think about the, the mental aspects of things that are going on. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Oh, I love this. You know, when, when we think about the resurrection, what day of the week did it happen on? First day of the week. What day is today? The first day of the week. Isn't that awesome? And here we see that as Jesus rose, that's why we call it the Lord's Day. This is the Lord's Day. The Sabbath was the law's day. 
You understand that? The Sabbath was a part of the law. And they were told to, they were made to do that. They were made to do that. And, and it tells us that there, there is no record of, of, in the New Testament, there's no record of the believers worshiping then on the Sabbath. When you see after Christ had died on the cross and the establishment of the church then, uh, or uh, the, the, the birth, you might say, of, of the church that had already started, but by this time now, you do not see the believers, oh, they would go to the synagogue, but what did they go to the synagogue to do? To teach and to debate and talk to the Jews and tell them about the Messiah. But it tells us that, then there are several examples, and I'm not going to give them to you. You go look them up, okay? There are several examples of different things that God did on the resurrection day, the first day of the week. You think about the first fruits. Christ, in his resurrection, he, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. The first example of many to come for every believer that happened first, right? He tells us even that, that we give God of our first fruits, the very first things, right? Well, now we see that what day is the first day of the week? Today is the first day of the week. So what should we do? Give God our best. Give God our first. It's the Lord's day. Give it to him. Honor him. It doesn't have anything to do with saving us, but it has everything to do about worship for God. And let him have this day, the Lord's day. And there's no command to, to uh, do it like there was in the law, other than he says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And so now it tells us that we ought to get together. Doesn't tell us for how long on that day. Doesn't tell us, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, we, we, we have, based in our culture, there, there was a gentleman back in the 40s, I believe it was, or the 50s, where three to thrive. And what he would preach on is that if you're really going to thrive in your, in your walk with God, then you ought to meet with, with God's people three times, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's kind of how that got developed. Is there anything in the Bible that says you must do that? No, there's not. I think in this day and age, we're crazy to start meeting less if anything, we ought to meet more. Or at least when we do meet, let's make sure it's meaningful. But here we see that Jesus appeared to the disciples the Lord's day. New Testament events took place on the first day. You think about the circumcision. What day was circumcision on a newborn? The eighth day, right? The eighth day, the beginning. The beginning, and, and it represents a new beginning. You know what happened last week? It's in the past. It's in the past. If there are some failures in your life that you had last week and you haven't talked to God about it, we'll talk to him right now and confess it to God. God at 1037 on Tuesday morning, I, I remember that because that's when my phone was broken on my head when my wife thumped me with it. And so at 1037, it really didn't happen, okay? You know what? God, God could be, you, you may have come in here today beaten up because of things that happened last week. You know what you need to do? First of all, confess it to God. Get it right with God. 
And then if it was against someone, get it right with that person. And then move on. It's a new beginning today. We come today to hear from God. We come to worship God. We come to give Him our best. The first day of the week. Not, not a time when we ought to be dog-tired because of all the things that we've done the, the whole week, and, but prepare yourself and actually try to get a good night's rest on a Saturday night sometime and see how much better it is when you come in on a Sunday. And, and you give Him today and, and start the week off the way that it ought to start off. God first. God first. That, that's why he's done this. It, it represents the church age and, and, and truly represents the, uh, a, a day of worship to begin the week and, and truly a day to show us it's a new beginning today. It's a new week. Let's go out this week and let's serve the Lord and, and let's have joy in our hearts and no fear for those things that are going on and, and know that God blesses the day. For those who sanctify it, it's not just another day. It has nothing to do with saving us, but it has everything to do with our worship and our heart for God. Let it be the day. You know, I had somebody tell me years and years ago, and, and, they, and they're such good friends today. They moved to Wyoming and, and uh, live in Cheyenne now and, and have for years. But when they first started coming, he came to me and he said, Pastor will be there every Sunday morning, but we, we don't come Sunday night whatsoever because that's our family time. We play games, and we just make that our family time. And I, I, think, I think it's a good thing to have family time, okay? But I think if you're going to use Sunday as your family time, be in the Lord's house when the doors are open. I know, narrow-minded, you know, but just want the best. And the best comes from God and comes from God's Word. You know what? He started coming, and he... And he he and his wife and their young daughter, and started enjoying it. Sunday night, guys, for those of you who've never come on a Sunday night, Sunday night is a lot different than a Sunday morning. And it's just a family atmosphere. And you know what it does for me? My favorite time, anybody have a favorite time of the week? Or my favorite time in all of the week is on a Sunday night, I get home from church on a Sunday night after spending that day with the church family and ministering, and, and I sit down, and I just think about all the blessings of what God has done the entire day, and it's my favorite time. And I do believe that, and I tell you this, I've told many of you this many, many times, if you honor God, God will honor you. I totally, 100% believe that. You know, I read an article, and I'll stop with this. I don't have it with me, but I read it this morning. Um, the, the owner of Hobby Lobby, I think, just turned 80 years old. I, I, I can't remember what his name is. Worth 13 point something billion dollars. And he said he's going to give his stores away. He said, everybody thinks I ought to give it to my kids and my grandkids. And he made the statement, why do I want to ruin their lives? That man years ago said, we will not work on Sunday. Probably one of the, the biggest money days for it would have been for Hobby Lobby. So we're not going to do it. We, we're not going to. And he, and he also made the statement. He said, these stores, they're not mine. 
He said, I have realized from study of the scripture that I'm just a steward of everything that I have. And so I don't, I don't know how he's going to go about it. He's putting them in some kind of trusts or whatever. I don't know what he's doing with them. But he said, it's not mine, it's God's. And, and I think, I thought about that, and, and the world would be saying, this man is crazy in what he's doing. But God, I would say, if his heart is truly where it seems to be, then God is applauding him. For understanding that all the things that you have, that the world calls wealth and all these great things that, that are there, he realizes that truly isn't anything but a responsibility. Why? Because God owns everything. Oh, you might think, you know, man, I got to get home. I got to get ready for work tomorrow. And, and, and look, that job doesn't own you. Okay? God does. God owns you. The, the money doesn't own you. This crazy inflation, the, the, uh, the economy, and, and all of those things, don't let the worry of that own you. You're a child of God. You, you want God's blessings on your life in this crazy day? You keep giving as God shows you to give. You continue to give your time to God's work and raising your family the way you ought to, being a testimony and witness to your family and your friends around you. Continue to, to, to donate time and your talents to God's work in however way that you can. Keep serving God in all the things that you need to be doing, even though the world is screaming and telling you to hoard everything or, or in, invest in this or invest in that. Invest in what's eternal. You honor God, and God will honor you. Give it to God. Just trust God. Walk with God, and you'll find that he is true to his word. How do I know that? Because he's alive. He rose from the dead. There is no body defined because his body is in heaven today. That bodily resurrection, the first of many to come, we trust our Savior. We trust Him for our salvation. And we trust Him with our lives today to walk with Him, to trust in Him. Wherefore, let us comfort one another in these words. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. Truly is a comfort knowing that we serve a risen Savior, knowing that He's very much alive today, knowing that those of us who have trust in, have placed our trust in him know that he's the resurrection and the life. And those who have trust him shall never die. And Father, I pray that you encourage the hearts of each one who's here. I pray you do a work in their lives like that, that only you can do and that, Father, we'll just continue to praise you for all the things that you're doing. Lord, we love you. We truly want to do what you want us to do, and so show us and guide us and lead us and in all of that. And Father, I again pray that you do a work in our hearts. Show us whatever it is that we need to deal with today. Help us before we leave here today do business with you. Take care of whatever it is that has become such a burden, and let us release it today to you. Lord, we love you. We pray your blessings upon us in Jesus' name. Amen.